Hello and welcome to United's podcast and sermon archives. If you would like to learn more about our church, please go online to our website at fergusunited.org or follow us on our Facebook page. Thank you very much and we hope you enjoy this week's message. God bless. Today, in the the third series, we're going to be talking about something a little bit different. I want to talk to us and preach to us about the essential nature of church to every Christian. Church is essential to the lifestyle of a Christian. I'm going to ask a rhetorical question just for you to think about at the outset of this message. going to ask the question, do you believe that connection to a church is vital to your making it to heaven. I want you to ponder that and think about it for a minute. Many declare that they can maintain their relationship with God while not being committed to a church. Within our our culture and our society, most I won't say most people, but many people that make the decision not to be connected to and committed to a church say things like, well, I don't need to go to church to have a relationship with God. They say things uh, like, I don't need to be connected to something that's man-made to, to know Jesus. I can worship Jesus at home. I can, I can go out in nature and connect with God. I strongly agree that church attendance does not make one a Christian. Coming to church week in and week out, showing up, darkening the doors, heating up your seat for an hour, hour and a half, and then going home, that does not make one a Christian. In fact, you can do that and still live like Satan himself all the rest of your life. So, no, coming to church does not make you a Christian. But it is equally true that if one has truly been converted by Christ, church attendance will exist in their life. Coming to church does not make you a Christian. However, being a Christian will draw you into connection with the church. In fact, don't take my word for it, but it's where the Lord Himself places those whom He saves. I'm going to read a scripture from Acts chapter 2, verses 46 and 47. This is immediately on the heels of the birth of the church. We go to Acts 2 and 38 a lot of times. The first message of salvation. It it plays out. Thousands of people are baptized, filled with the Holy Ghost. The church as we know it is born into existence. It says in verse 46, And they continued daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. The Lord added to the church such as should be saved. God adds to the church. We need to ask ourselves the question, what is the church? And a lot of times our mind goes to, to the answer, and it's true. The church is not this building. Uh, it's just months in the, into the future. We're going to build a new building, and we're going to leave this place, and it's going to become whatever the next people that rent this space want it to be. The church is a body of believers that are bound together by their relationship with Jesus Christ. You are the church. This is the church. No matter where we're meeting, there are other countries that you can't gather together like this. That doesn't mean that there's no church. The church still exists. It's meeting in house to house. They're they're meeting in secret places. There's 
still a church. Beyond that, when one becomes a part of the church, they are becoming a member of the body of Christ. A member of the body of Christ. I'm going to read a lot of Scripture today. I'm going to read next Romans 12, 1-5. through 5. It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. The writer here, under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, says that when you become a part of the church, you become a part of a body. And just like your body, there are many members of that body and everyone has a part to play. So this idea of being an isolationist Christian, it, it segregates me and separates me from the body. If you were to, in this day or, or any time in your life for that matter, get in an accident and your finger gets chopped off, what happens to the body? It suffers, but it continues to live. What happens to the finger? It dies. When it's cut off from the body, it ceases to live. It cannot stand alone. We are not standalone people. I think this is where it ties in. It says that we ought not think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. But we ought to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man a measure of faith. You know what? I can't make it on my own. God hasn't designed me to make it on my own. He's designed me to be a part of something that's bigger than I am. He's placed me in the body. Ephesians 4, verses 14 through 16. says that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. That's what happens when we're not connected to the body. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into Him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. So we get this image here, and we're going to continue to read verse 16. But when we're looking at the body, first we have to understand the head. It's in your head. Everything else in your body moves according to what happens up here. Your brain tells the hand to reach and the foot to step and the mouth to speak. So Christ is the head of the church. Okay? Even the head, verse 16, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. We get another image of what the body of Christ is supposed to look like. He is the head, He is in control, He is in charge. And every other piece is supposed to fit nicely together. 
If a, if a shoulder or an elbow or a, any joint in your body comes out of socket, yes, it's still, it's still connected, but it causes pain and it limits mobility and it limits ability. But the church is to be fitly joined together, compacted by that which every joint supplieth. And when we effectually work together, increase of the body takes place. The church is essential. Scripture also declares and describes the church as the bride of Christ. The bride of Christ. Ephesians chapter number 5, verses 23 through 27. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. And he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for it, that He might sanctify it and cleanse it with the washing of water by the Word, that He might present it to Himself a glorious church, having not spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. You say, man, why does God take this marriage thing so important? Why, why does He take it so seriously? Why is marriage such a big deal? Because God has chosen the marriage relationship between a man and a woman to be the example to the world we live in between Christ and the church. The church is the bride, the bride of Christ. Furthermore, the church is God's purchased possession. The church belongs to God. Acts 20 and 28. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers to feed the church of God, which He has purchased with His own blood. He's purchased it with His own blood. It's His church. It belongs to Him. People say things that, that imply that the church is man-made. That's not true. The church is not man-made. It's ran by men, and if they're doing it well, they're doing it under the leading of the Holy Ghost because Christ is the head. But the church was built by Jesus Himself. He said it would be built by Him Himself in Matthew 6 and 18. I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We're not talking about a man-made organization. We're talking about a, an organism, a living thing that was built by the hands of God. Furthermore, that Scripture lets us know that it is the spiritual force on earth that overcomes the footholds of hell. It's the church that the gates of hell will not prevail against. So I ask the question to all of the cynics and all of the critics and all of those that declare and, and seem to hold to the opinion that I don't need to be a part of the church. So let's set need aside for a moment and ask the question, why would you not want to be a part of the body of Christ? Why would you not connect yourself to what Scripture declares is the bride of Christ? Why would you not partner yourselves with what the Lord declares to be His purchased possession. 
And why would you not want to be included in the number of those called the church that Jesus Himself is building? The church is essential to the life of a Christian. Now, I brought with me today my Gerber. Now, these, these are cool. This really is the Swiss Army Knife 2.0. Anybody have one of these? A Gerber or a Leatherman? If not, you should go out and get one. These are pretty neat. I could, I could use these as a pair of pliers. See? A pair of pliers. They work. Let me see your finger. <laughs> I, could, I could use these for the rest of my life as a pair of pliers and only a pair of pliers. And I would be really selling myself short. I've got to use two hands for a minute. but I'd be selling myself short because I could put the pliers away. And maybe, maybe I need a saw. I got a saw in here. Uh, there are a lot of times I need a Phillips head screwdriver. There's, I got one right here, Phillips head screwdriver. Nope, ah, I was wrong. I need a, a flathead screwdriver. There's one. And then whatever this little part does, I could do something with that too. Maybe I don't need a saw. Maybe a serrated blade would do the trick better. So I could access a serrated blade. I, I Wait, nope. I need... There's a string on your jacket. Let, let me get that with my scissors. I've got some scissors right here. I've got a can opener. You're stuck in the woods and you need to open a can of beans. You, you can crack that baby open with those. I've got this little fingernail cleaner right here. I don't know what you use it for. I use it for cleaning fingernails. Works pretty good for that. Uh, I, I need to file some stuff down. I got a file. And then on this side, I got a little bit of tape measure. I can measure some stuff out. I don't, I don't know what I'm going to measure with that, but it's there. They put it there. And then, you know, that serrated blade's not really doing the trick. I, I think a straight blade would be better. I've got all these tools at my disposal. It would be foolish for me to only look at this and use this as a, a pair of pliers. It does so much more for me than just pinch things. Right? The church is the Gerber of the Christian lifestyle. We could come and, and we could sing songs together and we could hear the preached Word and maybe pray for a moment and go home. and that, That's all we ever do. And we're selling ourselves incredibly short when it comes to the role of the church. The church provides within its arsenal of tools a great level of accountability one to another. The book of James, chapter 5 and verse 16 says, Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. I'm so grateful that in the church when I mess up and make mistakes, I don't have to try to hide it and keep it secret because everybody's going to laugh at me and they're going to get mad at me and they're going to, they're going to kick me to the street. No, the Scripture says when the church is operating properly that, that when I'm having trouble in my life, I can come to a brother or a sister and I can express, I can put that to words and say, man, I'm, I'm really having a hard time here. I, I really messed this situation up. I really did this thing wrong here. And, and we can 
hold one another accountable. And at the end of that conversation, we don't say, well, you, you're such a fool. I can't believe you did that. Better luck next time. No, we, we wrap our arms around one another and we pray for one another. And the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous person will accomplish many things in our life. The church provides us a system of accountability. It's the church and within the confines of the church that we are given spiritual authority, leadership, and guidance. Hebrews 13 and 17 is a familiar passage on, on this topic. It says to obey them which have the rule over you and submit yourselves for they watch for your souls as they that must give account that they may do it with joy and not with grief for that is unprofitable for you. Can I say as the pastor that spiritual authority, leadership, and guidance is not a negative thing? It's not someone trying to sit above you and point out all of your faults and all of your flaws, but it's someone that's trying to protect you and help you and guide you like a shepherd, the Scripture says. In the book of Jeremiah, he prophesies under the Holy Ghost about a future time, and the Lord says through him, this phrase, Jeremiah 3 and 15, And I will give you pastors according to my heart, which shall feed you with knowledge and understanding. What's, what's your role as a pastor or as a spiritual authority in someone's life? It's to feed and care for the flock of God. We read Acts 20 and 28 earlier, and it was actually a warning that was given to spiritual leaders. Take heed that you're not mistreating the flock. Take heed that you're not withholding information just because it's more comfortable for you. Here's, here's the, let's pull back the veil and see the whole picture. Anytime that spiritual authority has to bring information your way that you don't like to hear, that's not comfortable for them either. They're not like, yes, I finally get to make somebody really mad today. I'm going to get to say something that's going to make somebody hate me. I, I get to say something that's going to make them go around and say bad. No, nobody, nobody does that. Nobody does that. But there is value. There is value in having spiritual leadership in our life. When we're sick, we go to the doctor and we trust what they tell us. We don't know them. They don't have any role in our life outside of that visit. But, but because of the training and the title that they carry, we trust them. When we have legal issues, we pick up the phone and we call a lawyer. And maybe we've never spoken to them in the past. They don't know our name. They don't know our children. They don't know our circumstances. All they know is what little bit we tell them on the phone. And they give us instruction. And we take that. And we run with it. And we trust in it. And we don't question their motives many times. Because they're obviously looking out for us. We look at all the different professions around us in our secular environment. And we place an incredible amount of trust in those people. And yet somehow Satan has planted seeds of, of doubt and concern within the hearts and the minds of people that the, the area we struggle to do this in is the very area where God said, I'm going to place people in your life after my own heart. I, I, after my own heart, I'm going to put pastors and leaders in your life. I'm going to give you apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. I'm going to give those to you. And we stand back and go, well, I don't know. I got my own Bible. I'll do my own. I, I'll trust you. I'll pray. God's going to talk to me. Hang on a minute. Why? Let's just be logical for a minute. Why? 
Why do we trust all of these secular titles and yet the very instruments that God has said, listen, I've got a gift for you. I'm going to give these people unto you and they're going to work for me and they're going to have to answer for your soul when they stand before. I'm going to place them in your life. And we go, I don't know if I can trust them. No, it's a benefit. That's a tool in the Gerber of the church. We have access to fellowship and a support system. Romans 12, just by the way here, a lot of these scriptures we're reading are written to the church. We're reading from Romans and we're reading from Galatians and Corinthians. All of these were written to the church. They weren't written to isolated individuals that had experienced the Holy Ghost. These were written to churches. They were circulated among churches. Romans 12 and 15. Rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. That's what happens in the church. You have success in the world and many times people are happy about it when you're looking and then they're jealous when you're not. They're envious. They don't want you to succeed. As lo- well, they don't mind you succeeding as long as you don't succeed more than they do. Mm. See, that, that's the way our world works. But the Scripture says rejoice with them that do rejoice. When something good happens in your life, you know what the church is doing? We're, we're standing there and we're cheering for you. Yeah. We're throwing the, the parade. We got confetti. Maybe not really confetti, but you get the picture. We want to celebrate with you. We want to see God bless you. It doesn't matter what my circumstances look like. I'm not going to degrade your blessing because I'm still waiting on mine. No, I'm going to rejoice with them that rejoice. And then when, when hardship hits and you're going through things that cause you to weep, there's going to be a brother or sister that comes alongside and says, you know what, I'm, I'm with you. I'm praying with you. I'm connected with you. I, I, I'm not going to say I understand your pain right now, but, but I do see that you're in pain. And I don't mind sitting with you a while. I don't mind mourning with you a while. Let, let's go through this together. You don't have to do it alone. There's a support system that's in place, and it's called the church. Galatians 6, chapter 1 and verse 2 says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, what do spiritual people do when someone's overtaken in a fault? Okay, let's, let's just modernize that. If someone sins miserably, the spiritual people, well, they, they bring a stern word of correction. No, no. Ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou be also tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Church is not a, a place where we come and, and put on our mask and just be our fake little selves for a little while, but you know what? You're going to mess up from time to time. Yeah. I'm going to mess up from time to time. And I hope that there's a church that will say, listen, you know what? That, you're right. It was wrong. It shouldn't have been done. But you know what? We all fall. Let's just, let's just get back up and keep going. In the spirit of meekness. Not with, with some kind of prideful arrogance like, yeah, I would never do that. He said, consider yourself. You're going to be tempted too. But no, you walk into that with humility. And, and you walk into that not excusing sin. He never tells us to excuse sin. But, but not to condemn, but to lift up and to help them continue to move forward. That's why the Scripture said, if, if two are walking and one falls, at least there's somebody there to pick them up. If they're walking alone and they fall... Scripture says there's nobody there. 
This idea that I'm just going to live for God without the church, it's, it's so unbiblical. We need the church. It's the church, it's within the church, I should say, that we hear the preached Word of God. What's happening right now is important to your soul. The preached Word of God. The preached Word of God. It's more than just reading it. 1 Corinthians 1 and 21, I I believe, demonstrates this best. It says, For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. So in our own understanding, we, we failed in knowing what God was really like. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. It priest God, uh, God's pretty plain about it. It's foolish. With all the things He could do to capture our attention. When you really consider all the different ways He could show up to you, He could manifest Himself, He could send an angel, He could part the clouds and, and ride it in the sky. I mean, God has the power to reach you any way he, he sees fit. And yet it says that it pleased God by the foolish measures of preaching to save them that believe. That That's should capture our attention and make us really perk up when the preached Word of God comes forward. A lot of times we read the word saved in Scripture and we go, well, I've already done that. I've already done that. Okay, I I hope you have already experienced the initial salvation, but would you be so arrogant to tell me that you don't ever need saving from situations and mindsets and circumstances and emotions and unhealthy thought patterns that come up in your life? It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. When you're struggling with something in your mind and the Word of God goes forward and and it impacts right where you're at, it just hits right what you've been dealing with and right what you've been struggling with, you have a choice to make. Am I going to believe this and take it or not? And them that believe can be saved from whatever's going on in their life. Consider this. you're, You're going through a hard time. You have a challenge. You pick the example you want in your mind right now. And you're praying for God to help you. And so God begins to speak to the heart of a preacher. And He says, this is what you're going to preach. This is what you're going to stand up in that congregation and say, here are the scriptures I need you to, to read in the audience. These are the things I need you to elaborate. This is what I'm going to anoint you to speak in that service. Because you're praying for an answer. God's speaking to a preacher because it pleases Him through the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And then that Sunday you stay home. And that obedient preacher stands in a pulpit and he declares your answer for all to hear and you miss it because you were not in the church. See, I'm telling you, church is essential to the believer. I'll reiterate it. It it alone will not save you. But it is essential to the church. We have collective efforts that only take place in the church. Any, any of the men feeling strong today? Do any of you think that you could walk out into the parking lot and grab a hold of the bumper of one of those cars and lift that thing up off the ground? I, me either. Oh, maybe, maybe go ahead. I don't, I don't think I could. In fact, I think if I tried that, I would probably miss work tomorrow because something in my lower back would make noises that I don't want it to. But I believe that if all the men of this congregation decided right now we wanted to go outside and grab a hold of the bumper of one of those vehicles and lift on it, we could get it off the ground. 
with a small number. Why? Because there is a collective effort that is behind that push. This is something that, that we have to carry into our approach to the church. When we sing songs and we're worshiping up here and, and we're, we're lifting up the name of the Lord, God's glory is so much bigger than anything I could ever express with my own vocabulary. My singular voice doesn't even come close to reaching the, the grandeur of what He is all about. Mm-hmm. But there's something that happens when a, when a congregation of people gather together and we lift our voices as one. The Scripture says God inhabits the praises of His people. See, our co- we, we accomplish more together than we can on our own. Times of prayer that take place in a corporate setting. God hears you when you pray alone. Don't misunderstand me. But there is also something biblical about corporate prayer. Many, many times we read in Scripture about the church gathering together and praying together and powerful things take place as a byproduct. I'm going to beat the drum again about the necessity of our altar services because we're lacking in this area. There's an opportunity for us to pray as a church together and to pray with one another. That should be a regular thing within the body of Christ. The body ministering to the body. You praying for a brother or a sister. I've talked about it. I've taught about it. I'm now preaching about it. But the only thing that's going to to change the situation concerning our altar services here in our local church is when the church decides to do something about it. To leave the pew, to gather together, to bind together, to pray together, to seek God together. And there is value in corporate prayer. If one of us alone would try to evangelize this region, we would be incredibly ineffective. I dream big. I I can't help it. But when I consider that God has placed people within this small church in Fergus Falls that range from Alexandria all the way to Wapaton and all around Fergus, we have a large area to cover. None of us in and of ourselves are going to have the time, the energy, or the resources to evangelize even one of our communities. And yet God has seen fit to place us in multiple communities. There is power that comes when our efforts are collective and we all go out with the desire to make a difference. And we we reach for the lost and we're sharing the Word. We read in Scripture about spiritual gifts. You could go to the book of Romans and the book of Corinthians and there there are many spiritual gifts that God talks about. I would challenge you to go back and reread those with the mindset of the church being essential because the majority of those gifts only operate within the confines of the church. Mm-hmm. You take yourself outside of the confines of the church, right? Show up at work tomorrow and, and try to give a tongue and expect one of your coworkers to stand up and interpret. Mm-hmm. Um, what are you doing? That's weird. <laughs> Even in the church, it seems weird. I don't understand it. It's what God chose. But it only works in the confines of gathered together believers. Gathered together believers. You can stand up on your desk tomorrow and declare, I have a prophecy from the Lord. Go ahead, record that. 
it operates within the confines of the church. God has ordained this thing called the church. The church. I'm going to close fairly soon if you want to come. Last scripture. And this is the one that we normally start with when we're talking about church attendance and church connectivity. Hebrews chapter number 10. I'm actually going to start reading at verse 19. I'm going to read through verse 26. He makes a lot of comparisons here. He's relaying this back to the tabernacle and the veil and the labor that was there that they had to wash in. So there's some symbolism in what we're talking about. He says, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which He hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, His flesh. And having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of fate, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for He is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another. Wait a minute. I can't do that if I'm by myself. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Verse 25, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. See, the message I'm preaching today is the same message that he was preaching back then. Church is essential. Gathering together is vital. you you got to do it. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. And then he says something in verse 26. We, we stop there so often. But the context of this Scripture is incredibly powerful. Because he follows that up with, For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. Wow. Gathering together, faithfully, gathering and assembling ourselves together is in the same context as not sinning willfully. There's two ways that you can look at and interpret the Scripture. It could be a willful sin to forsake the assembling together. Scripture could be declaring that. And if it's not declaring that, it's telling us that if we do forsake the assembling of ourselves together, it will lead to willful sin. One or the other. Because he says, he says, don't do it because if you sin willfully. So somehow or another, my connection to the church, the body, the bride, the purchased possession has an ability within my life to help me avoid willful sin. So how does that work? Well, because every time you come, there's going to be somebody provoking you to do good. There's going to be another message giving you, you more resources from the Word of God. There's going to be another opportunity. You know when it's easiest not to sin? When you're in church. 
Like most people aren't sitting here right now thinking, you know what, I think I'll just steal something on my way out the door. If you're going to steal something, there's free resources on the wall. Just, just make yourself feel good by taking that. But no, we're not thinking about that. Why? Because my mind's on Jesus. Every time I'm here, my mind's back on Jesus. Every Sunday, I put my mind back on Jesus. And, and every Wednesday when I show up, I, I put my mind back on Jesus. And then for a little while after I leave, those temptations, they're, they're just not as strong. Now, if I miss a Sunday, that's, that's a long time. If I, if I won't partner with and be a part of what takes place on Wednesday, now I've got to go, I gotta go seven days in between that, that constant reminder. Don't, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Even more, the Scripture says, as you see the day. What day? The day of God's return. No one argues with the fact that God's return is sooner than it was before. It, 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 so we look at our times and we look at our circumstances and, and even those that are outside of this belief system, they, they say something is happening. So we that believe should hear that and say, okay, that means, that means it's time to be more committed than I've ever been before. Even the more as I see the day approaching and, and when I look out on the horizon of time, I know it's not going to be very long. I've got to make sure I'm committed. I've got to make sure I'm connected to the body, to the church. Church is not something that Christians attempt to fit into their busy lives. But rather, church should be something around which Christians plan their busy lives. I understand we're busy. I understand we have things going on. Put it on your calendar now. Take a, a, a pen or something and mark. I don't know if you have a physical calendar. I like physical calendars. I just hung one up that was like four feet wide in my office. I, I like to see it. But you know what? I, it's not even a question where I'm going to be on Sunday. And that's not because I'm the pastor. That's because I need it. Amen. It shouldn't even be a, a thought. Amen. Like, where, where am I going to be on Sunday? At church. What's going to be going on in my life on Wednesday evening? I'm going to be at church. Make a faithful commitment rather than an opportunistic plan. Because if all if I have is an opportunistic plan, then something will come up. We say things like, I have an... an uh, uh, what's the word here? I have, a, I have another obligation. I have a, another responsibility. Is there anything in the life of a Christian that we should be more obligated or responsible to than our relationship with the bride? I'm not beating anybody up if, if you've had to work on a, a weekend. or Things come up. I get it. Stuff happens. But my lifestyle shouldn't convey that I'm disconnected. I've stayed very close to Scripture today. So I follow up with the question I started with, only I'm going to reword it a little bit. How essential, after hearing what we've talked about today, do you believe the church is? How essential? This is how God instructed me to end the message. I'm going to ask a series of questions I don't want answers. Has the Word of God challenged you today? Has it encouraged you in your current commitment? Has the Word of God possibly offended you today? Have you caught yourself trying to mentally discredit or argue with the points that have been made? Have the ver verses that were read revealed to you that God sees church differently 
than you do. This is the thing. Good, bad, or indifferent. This is how God instructed me to end the message. How you felt about the words that were shared today is how you feel about his body, his bride, and his purchased possession. Whether that's, that's great or whether it's, it's pricking your heart a little bit and you feel conviction setting in. It is a gift that he has given you. And he desires for you to value it as he does and use it to its full potential. We're going to take some time. She's going to play. I would invite you to pray. Just talk to God about this. I told you, I've, I've tried my best to stay right in the book and just go scripture by scripture because I don't want you to think this is the preacher's attempt to validate the church. This is God's word. This is God's church. We are God's people. Talk to him about it today. Renew your commitments. Maybe make some new commitments today. God, we need you. We recognize what you've done. You've placed us in something that helps us. Oh, Jesus. Help me not to be lackluster in my approach to what you've given me. listening to our podcast this week. We hope you enjoyed this message. Remember, if you'd like to find out more information about our church or to contact us, please go online to fergusunited.org. And also don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast app. That way you will be automatically notified of our new episodes. Thank you very much and we hope you have a great week. God bless you.